0: As certainly continues to be the case, we're honored to be able to gather on this Sunday morning, the first Sunday in June in the year 2022, and we're thankful to be here. I might add one additional announcement that I failed to give Brother Lester earlier. There's a vacation Bible school at the Carthage Church of Christ taking place beginning tomorrow night and running through Thursday evening. And I've been invited to be the speaker tomorrow night. So tomorrow night at Carthage, 6.30. So most of them seem to begin at 7. This one begins at 6.30. So at the very least, if you would, please remember that VBS in your efforts and prayers and certainly support that uh, as well as the other VBSs if at all you can. I think there's one taking place at Zion this week. I believe there's also one at Center Grove. So quite a bit of choices, I think, to take place this week for Vacation Bible School. Jeremiah, in the long ago, said, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. As you and I give thought to the lesson today, the title goes like this, Chaste or Chaste? And you may note the spelling is different. The words are different. The consideration involved in those words, quite frankly, is exceedingly different. And we will develop that in rather interesting detail at the right time in the lesson this morning. But as we begin, may I point out to each of us that it is our desire always to have the Word of God brought to us. And certainly God has done His part. He has presented to everybody the same written Word. There are times when certain passages will step on my toes that may not bother you quite so much. And on the other hand, there may be matters that trouble you greatly, but may be less a matter of concern for me, for example. But you and I can be so thankful that just as Paul highlighted, every word of God, of course, has been presented. And today, we're going to consider chaste or chaste. May I point out that second matter on that slide? Everything that the Bible contains is important. Every particular verse and every aspect of that is significant for you and me, or else the Holy Spirit would not have presented it the way He did. Surely in that light, the bottom of that slide helps you and me to think about this. You and I know, well, one, even if blind, I think would have the idea that there's a great problem in America connected to modesty. It continues to be so, and in some ways it's worsening. Today, why don't we take just a few moments and re-anchor ourselves to the truth of God on a topic like this one. And surely as we do that, it'll be our goal to allow the Word of God to shape our thinking, to mold our presentation, and to allow us to see this as God would wish that we would. For that reason, the first part of the lesson is merely a reminder of a basic premise connected to this topic. I think we'd all agree that when one begins to discuss modesty or the lack thereof, surely there is a need for decorum. There is a need, if you will, for propriety. One would not wish to be too graphic. And so a person as a preacher, for example, or even as a spokesman on a topic like this one, we surely would wish, especially in a worship service, to honor the nature of God's will. And a moment ago, we prayed that everything we do and say would please Him. Well, we surely would wish to do that even, as we discuss a topic such as this one. In Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6, that ancient statement began like this, Every word of God is pure. Now, quite frankly, the word pure would have been better rendered as tried. The original Hebrew, I think, would certainly suggest that. And to say that every word of God is tried, it means it's accurate. It means, as the slide would indicate, that it has been proven reliable. There is nothing in God's Word that would cause one appreciation to say, well, I don't believe that's right. Or I don't believe that is a proper justice to the current society. Every Word of God is accurate. And it, of course, conveys the meaning, and it conveys the sense that God initially wished it to convey. No wonder in that light... Consider the approach that Paul took. Paul may well have been preaching approximately 2,000 years ago in a society at least as bad as ours. And yet he said this in Acts 20 verse 20. He said, I have kept back nothing that was profitable for you. You can imagine as Paul stood in the various congregations scattered throughout the Roman Empire and preached in places like Thessalonica and Philippi and Ephesus, and so many others, that he said, I've kept back nothing. Some of those sermons, no doubt, were rather pointed and rather direct concerning the behavior that was seen as normal in that society. But Paul said, look, you can't do this. In Acts 20, verse 27, he said, I shunned not to declare the whole the counsel of God. Everything that God had said touching that subject, Paul said, I taught it, I shared it. Today, might you and I have the same earnestness and the same desire and the same conviction that we too want all of the gospel unloaded on any subject so that you and I can know what God's will is. As you approach the bottom of that slide, may I suggest that any time one gives thought to this, of course it becomes rather personal. And it's easy enough to say, well, so-and-so needed a sermon like that. May I say, let you and me be the so-and-so. If I need to make changes in my wardrobe, my choices of clothing, I need to make it. God won't force me to make it, but He'll judge me on the day of judgment for my lack of doing it. Today, might you and I with concern and care and great conviction recognize these verses are talking to me. And they're talking to you. So what are some of these verses? The next part of the lesson this morning helps each of us perhaps to think about this. One of the statements I had made on that slide, it has gotten to the point where quite frankly there are those who wear only their undergarments in public. And it is perceived as acceptable. It is perceived as normal and it is seen as adequate. God's Word says something different. It's always said something different. Well, what does it say? Under a heading of the purpose of clothing, could we at least remind ourselves of what the whole purpose of clothing is? The purpose of clothing is to cover the body. I don't know how to say it any more direct than that. That from the biblical perspective and from the perspective of the nature of clothing, that's its purpose Isn't it ironic that we seemingly now live in a time when clothing is chosen not for the purpose of covering the body? In many cases, it's chosen because it is seen as normal. It's chosen because it's convenient. It's chosen to reveal enough to tantalize others. But may I say, all of those things fail to appreciate the whole purpose of the clothing from the outset. The choice... The consideration must all revolve around the purpose for which clothing exists. Would you turn back with me to Genesis chapter 2? Let's find the first Bible reference to clothing, and as we do that, we will find ourselves in position not only to learn some considerations that developed then, but some lessons that have proceeded ever since. In Genesis chapter 2, as you can notice on that slide, You and I recall the scene rather well. God had formed man. And might you and I never forget, Adam was naked. He didn't have any clothes. There's not the slightest indication that when God made man of the dust of the ground that He covered him in some way with clothing. Nothing is said about that. We notice that there was something missing. There was not an helpmeet found for Adam, and thus God fashioned a woman, brought her to the man. She too had no clothes. In the innocence and purity of that moment, there was no clothing. You and I notice that verse 25 of Genesis 2 makes this statement. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. At that point in their existence, Adam and Eve, it says, were naked. No clothing of any kind. The emphasis there would apparently lead us to that conclusion. And it goes on to say they were unashamed. Now notice, they had been married. You and I recognize that a man and his wife can be naked in their house, and there ain't anything wrong with that, as long as they don't go in public that way. Here, you'll notice these two, they were not ashamed. There was no reason to be. But things change in the next chapter. You and I recall the tempter came before Eve, and ultimately she succumbed to the temptation and partook of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. She gave to Adam, and he ate of it as well. And then this statement is made. I would point out that in verse number 6 and 7 of Genesis chapter 3. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. I hope we're all impressed. The first observation that's made after they become guilty of sin, their eyes were opened, and what they do. They sewed fig leaves together, knowing that they were naked, and made themselves aprons. The first thing that they did was not to go hide in the the garden. The first thing was an awareness of their nakedness and the need to try and cover it. Sin ought to bring the recognition of that kind of appreciation. The entrance of sin is what destroyed the innocence and purity connected with their nakedness and it not be wrong. The fact that sin exists changed that and it can never go back. No wonder in that connection. You noticed you're at the bottom of that slide. Might you and I appreciate they first had been naked without shame. Now they suddenly with eyes opened recognized the need to cover their nakedness, and they fashioned aprons. Now, we'll have more to say about that shortly. But isn't it ironic today that there is thus, the purpose of clothing is to cover the body. That's the idea behind it. Doesn't it seem ironic when the choices in are made to reveal, to make evident, to manifest portions of the body when clothing's purpose should just be the opposite? Keeping that in mind, let's look even further. What do we then observe about that which they made? I just read in our hearing, Genesis 3 verse 7, could I point out to each of us again that it says, they sowed fig leaves together. They found what they could, and they made use of these fig leaves, the text says. And they combined them, they sewed them together, they found a means to in fact construct or adjoin them. And it says they made themselves aprons. Aprons. Now, the Hebrew word apron, as you can see on the slide, suggests a belt, a loin covering, a girdle, if you will. Maybe one image could be a modern day swimsuit or something like it. That's what they made. Now, we do not know the amount of time that elapsed between when they partook of that tree of knowledge of good and evil and when God came walking in the garden. But we know their first inclination was to cover their nakedness. Their eyes were now open. We live in a world where you and I know well sometimes the shame connected to nakedness is nearly absent. People seemingly parade in public completely un- Clothed in an unsatisfactory way, and yet it seems not to cause shame. It seems not to cause a sense of blush. Adam and Eve at least recognize the need to do something about this. You can notice on that slide the first observation that you and I might make some clothing is not acceptable. That isn't Randy's opinion, that's no man on earth's opinion, that's God's directive. What was God's reaction to these fig leaves, these aprons that they had made? Did God place His stamp of approval upon them? Did He assert and affirm that you have done an appropriate matter in clothing yourself this way? Well, first of all, let's make this observation. Later in the chapter, I'd like you to at least picture or imagine the development. While they were covered with these aprons... God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God addresses them directly and all they had on were these aprons. All they had on was these swimsuit-like coverings. Can you imagine the scene as God addresses Eve and says, Why would you do this? Because you have taken of this, the punishment will be the following. And He lays out for her what the punishment will be. And he addresses Adam and similarly says to him, Why have you done this? All the while as Adam stands there wearing only this belt, this apron if you please, God chastises him and rebukes him and in fact asserts the following. Would you now turn to verse 21? It says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them." There's every indication then that the aprons they had made were insufficient. The aprons that they had made were not satisfactory, and hence God more completely clothed them with coats. You can see on the slide, I've asked you to notice the meaning, the emphasis, the appreciation that's connected to that word coat. The literal thrust is a tunic. It's a long shirt-like garment that would have covered from shoulders to knees. That's what God wanted covered. You and I then do greatly err when we think about falling short of this. When we think about making presentation of these other elements of the body that the God of heaven chose to cover. May we never forget only two human beings on earth back at that time. And they were married. What about today when there are well over seven and a half billion? Of course, we aren't married to one another. Surely then we would never want to conduct or behave ourselves in a way. If God prescribed and proscribed the matter of clothing as He did then, oh, how carefully we should give thought to turning from that in a way that's significant today. In Proverbs 7, verse 10, there's something said about attire that can be selected. Now, I say this not to highlight the choice that goes with that, but merely at this point to say this. Clothing is recognized in light of that to which it joins. A man who's a plumber will wear certain kinds of clothing. You won't wear a suit and a tie to go work on a plumbing job. By the same token, a person who's a prostitute will dress in a certain way because her business involves, you recognize what the rest of that's going to be. And so she will dress in a way consistent with what she's hoping to accomplish. No wonder Solomon made reference to the attire of a harlot. You see, that kind of dress or clothing or raiment or apparel goes with what she's hoping to accomplish. Well, so too today, doesn't it give us pause then to notice not all clothing's acceptable. May we allow God to, ex- to instruct, to direct, and to present to us. And the next point in the lesson will be this development. The thing you and I know about clothing is that it shouts what's in our heart. It really does. By and large, the truth is, you and I will never by words speak concerning things that relate to our clothing. We just won't do that. But yet, we don't have to say a word, because other people can tell by what we wear exactly the kind of person we are, and exactly where our heart is, and exactly the nature of what rests on our mind so very much. It's evident. It's also rather obvious as you and I look back to the Word of God, look at how various clothing is mentioned and the things we know about those that wore them. What about John the Baptist? What clothing did he select to wear? Now we know well that he labored in the desolate parts of Judea, but as he did that, the t- Bible text in Matthew 3 highlights that he chose to wear camel's hair and a le- leather girdle. That is a, a leather kind of clothing. Well, all that's fine when you and I recognize the kind of person that he was. The fact that John didn't give insistence to the pursuit of materialistic matters. He told the Word of God without apology. And he wanted others to recognize the directness with which the Word of God should be treated. As you and I make application of that idea to us, what about our clothing today? The volumes that it speaks... Our clothing will immediately say, Am I given to materialism? Am I given to ungodliness? Does my mind dwell upon that which is impure? Needless to say, if I make presentation of nakedness in public, it easily shouts to others the fact that my mind certainly doesn't have an appreciation of modesty and certainly doesn't have an understanding of God's teaching on the subject, but that I am conforming to the world and that that normality is my goal, or at least my guide. No wonder about the middle of that slide. Each of us could ask ourselves then the honest question, what does my clothing say about me? Where my thoughts are? The kinds of matters that are of greatest significance to me. That true is is not only true about the nature of the clothing I wear to work, but what about my recreational activities? The kind of clothing that I choose to wear. Could it be that which encourages lust in the mind of another? And may we be quick to say, there are those who are quick to say, but I can't control what he or she may be thinking. That's true. But if I encourage it, I'm as guilty as he or she is. If I could choose otherwise and choose not to do so, I am as guilty as him or her. Isn't it true that that given principle is one that we find manifested so frequently? For instance, in Romans 1 verse 32, may it well be that one of the last thoughts on that slide takes us back to that application of Proverbs 7 verse 10, that attire of a harlot. Solomon, in essence, issues a challenge. Am I choosing to wear that kind of attire when certainly it isn't necessary? That kind of question, I'll have to give an answer to. You and I will have to give an answer for that. Because after all, the next slide will develop this more thoroughly. Earlier today, Brother Stan read from 1 Timothy 2 verse 9. Would you be turning to that passage as we devote a bit more care and attention to what is shared with us from that inspired passage? So, so far, we have at least discussed that some clothing isn't satisfactory, that some clothing will not be appropriate in the eyes of God. So, one may ask, how do I pick my clothing? What articles in my current closet do I need to throw in the trash? And what other kinds of clothing might I select? Let's allow this verse to at least give us some guidelines. First of all, beginning in verse number a, would you observe this with me? I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Would you emphasize the word everywhere? Paul is giving some inspired guidelines connected, you see, to things that are not just true at a certain place, not just true, let's say, in one city or location. And then in the immediate aftermath of that, verse 9 says, in like manner also. Now this phrase in like manner says, in a similar way, or along the same line of thinking, women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now quite frankly, a whole series of lessons could probably be preached with relative ease on some of the features of that verse because the latter part of it takes us in the other extreme. So I would not want to wear jewelry or ornate things that would be inconsistent with what my profession is. Now the earlier part of the verse, which will be our focus this morning, has reference to three things. Modest apparel, shamefacedness, and sobriety. What does each of these three things mean? and what bearing might that have on the choices that a lady might make concerning her choice of apparel. Now, gentlemen, although that verse mentions women, you and I know that the principles in other verses would certainly be inclusive of us. For that reason, let me at least talk somewhat about the verses as they appear here, and then we'll make some more general applications in just a moment. The great matter that's involved, of course, revolves around lust. May I say again, the whole issue that drives a primary consideration of our clothing revolves around the topic of lust. Lust is serious. Lust will be enough to send me to hell and you too. I cannot be guilty of this. It thus requires an intense effort, you see, to guard the thoughts of the mind so that they don't wander into places that they must and should not. And obviously we're talking about the frame of the opposite sex now. To have my mind or yours wandering in that direction and to ponder on things like this. And didn't Jesus say that the man who looks on a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart? Matthew five twenty eight. And you and I know adultery will condemn a person. And yet, if I have encouraged that element of lustfulness in the mind of another, I become just as guilty as he or she is. We have to be careful of this. There is much, I suppose, that might be said about society 150 years ago when they were much better at covering the body than we are, at least far more generally. Today, we've become very promiscuous and very allowing and very tolerant of public nakedness. Let's go back to the verse. Women adorn themselves. He didn't say that they ought to think about this. He said they should do this. This is a clear presentation, isn't it, of the Word of God. Let's read onward. He notes in this passage about modest apparel. I've asked you to notice on the slide somewhat about modest apparel. Now, as we develop that on into the next slide, you may appreciate that some of the features connected to this become interesting in light of the following. If you wish, hold your finger in that First Timothy passage and revisit Galatians 5. The works of the flesh are here enumerated for us, and it's a lengthy list as you and I will remember. But beginning in verse 19, the text says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Now a number of things are about to be listed. And as he concludes it, he simply says, They which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that alone tells us this list is serious. We cannot be guilty of any of it. What's here? Let's note the first four of them. First, adultery. We understand what that means. Sexual unfaithfulness in marriage. Either by the husband, the wife, or both. We understand then that the first matter listed is a serious one in that a sexual matter has been highlighted. Look at number two, fornication. That's the more broad consideration of sexual infidelity. Unlawful sexual activity. That would include pornography. It would include bestiality. It would even include adultery. But again, folks don't have to be married for this one to be true. All kinds of unlawful sexuality. Here he says, you can't go to heaven like this. Look at number three. Third on the list is uncleanness. Now may I say, this has nothing to do with your house being unclean. (laughs) He isn't talking about a dusty table. He isn't talking about a dirty carpet. That word in the original language again has reference to, shall we say, reference to, to sexual matters. A behavior, a conduct that is unclean from a sexual standpoint. What am I thinking about? What kinds of things are my mind rushing to? You can begin to see how improper clothing nearby could, could be at least related to this. Look at the fourth one, lasciviousness, the encouragement of lust. That which has to do with the the promotion of lustful thoughts. By the way, that's the very word as to why modern dancing is wrong. It's included in in the very definition of the word. But may I say it's even broader than that. Anything that promotes that kind of thinking, which will involve in some way lustful attribute is condemned in that by that word and in that verse. Is it any wonder we have to be so careful that we don't involve ourselves in anything that would encourage this in the mind of either ourselves or somebody else? You can begin to see then why clothing and an improper choice any can be so serious. Flee fornication is the way Paul wrote it in 1 Corinthians 6.18. The word flee doesn't mean to dally with it, to involve oneself and see how close I can get to it. I've always thought in some way that the kind of discussion that our schools often have is a little bit misdirected. So how close is the short to the knee Is one inch okay? Is one and a quarter inches okay? How about one and a half inches? The whole idea is pointing in the wrong direction. It's not how close I can get. I need to stay away from this. I don't want to be near it. Now I realize, I suppose they have to have some guideline. But the idea is, if we toy around with this, we almost certainly, by Psalm 1 verse 1, are going to ultimately be too lax. Isn't it true that no sin is something we need to, shall we say, try to make friends with? We need to be as distant from it as we can. Maybe it is in that light that we close that slide and turn our attention back to 1 Timothy 2. So what does the word modest mean? What does the word shamefacedness mean? What does the word sobriety mean? They're all used... The definitions are fairly brief, and I suppose the idea is exactly what we would have expected. I've asked you to notice on the slide first, the word modest in the original language probably does not mean what you expected. It has to do with that which is seemly. That is to say, appropriate. Now notice, it's got to be appropriate not only in the eyes of godly consideration, but more significantly, appropriate to God but it also includes the idea of being well-arranged. What about the next word? It was also mentioned about shamefacedness. That means having a sense of shame, having a sense of modesty with respect to this. Now that certainly would indicate that we need to give a passing thought to the choice I've made. Does this in any way carry an element? of shame and impropriety of soul, don't wear it. It's not an issue of, well, I think it might pass. Like I say, we don't want to be close to sin. That's not the idea. Look at the third word, sobriety. That one literally means what is under the control of self to send forth a message connected to absolute moderation and self-control. Now, we've already learned that clothing that God chose was not the belt, the girdle, the loin covering, if you please. It was this coat, this tunic that did a far better job of covering, didn't it? With that in mind, let's close that slide like this. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Paul admonished those, and could I at least remind each of us, the Roman Empire was very promiscuous in the way that they behaved themselves. There were public baths. People would be naked in public because they'd go there to bathe. And in the midst of that kind of society, Paul wrote this. He wrote this. Do you suppose that the Christians would then be called upon to behave differently in that day than everyone else? Do you suppose that it was easy for them to see that their kind of behavior would have to be distinct? We live in a world, in America at least, and probably it's true in other countries as well, where we are battling a very strong battle. We want to control our thoughts so that modesty and shamefacedness and sobriety are the orders of the day. And so that we follow an upholding of godliness and innocence and purity so that we can encourage others in that way as well. Is it any wonder as you and I close that slide, we are simply going to close the lesson like that. God's Word challenges us, all of us, men and women alike, to recognize that we never ever conduct ourselves by way of our clothing choice in such a way to encourage uncleanness in the mind of somebody else. Now, as I said earlier, if you and I are clothed modestly, but the other person's mind has drifted into places it ought not be, that does rest upon them, and we can't control that. But God so many times in the Bible has said, if I am a party to that guiltiness by contributing in some way to it, then I've become guilty as well today. May we be reminded that we are in a constant battle for the innocence and for the godliness of hearts and minds. And we certainly would wish our clothing to be a strong voice in the direction of the proper message today. Being a Christian is the best way to be. Because as we live beneath the banner of Jesus Christ our Lord, we will recognize the nature of His message and we will strive to live in harmony with it. Today, if there's anyone in this assembly who for any reason it may not have anything to do with your choice of clothing. You might, in fact, be a powerful reflection of good in that, in that way. But maybe your life, for some other reason, is not as it ought to be. Maybe as a child of God, you have distributed, or rather you have demonstrated choices that are not good. Others being aware of that have seen sin in your life. I know that you would want to make it right, not only with God, but that they would know your redirection as well. Today, just like Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, you too could request the prayers of brethren. And in so doing, we would pray for your forgiveness. And God has promised to forgive you. If you will repent and confess those matters, that will be the end of it. But maybe you have never become a Christian. Though you've known about the Bible, and maybe you've come in recent days to read passages that have challenged you and recognized, if I die, I'm lost. If I die, I'm going to hell. That should disturb you. It ought to cause moments of concern. It ought to cause, in fact, hours in which you would find a mindset of being troubled. You realize the Lord has the answer. He wants you to be a faithful child of His. And He's promised if you'll do that and live faithfully until death, a crown of life is yours. Whatever comes your way in this life, a crown of life will await you there. You know, that kind of hope and that kind of promise never ceases to fill one's life with confidence and assurance. Today, we would love to be of assistance and help. Won't you believe in Jesus? He said, if you believe me with all your heart, John 8, 24, then you will have the opportunity to go to this grander place beyond this. Repent of your sins realize they, in essence, are what drove the nails into His, into His feet and hands on the cross. Repent of them. Turn aside from them. Do them no more as, as much as life in your desire. Confess the greatness of His name and be baptized. Today, everything would be prepared. They could be taken care of in a matter of moments. All your sins washed away. If we could be of some help in either of these ways, we'd love to do it. While together we stand and while we sing.